This little light of mine. Welcome to This Little Light of Mine, the podcast where we explore what happens when you teach a child that they are not allowed to love. Here's your host, James Powell. Hello and welcome to episode 17 of This Little Light of Mine. My name is James Powell, and I'm so glad that you're able to join me for today's episode, In the Shadows. Before we get started with today's episode, I want to be very transparent that this is my first explicit episode. And this part of my story contains content that may trigger some survivors. In today's episode, I will be talking about sexual assault, rape, trauma, and dissociation. I encourage all listeners to be gentle with themselves and to proceed with loving intent as they listen, knowing that it's okay to stop and or take breaks. If you're a survivor of religious trauma, sexual abuse, or assault, or you're a person facing mental health issues related to today's conversation, I strongly encourage you to be extremely gentle with yourself and to reach out to a mental health professional that specializes in trauma-informed care. Alright, I'm terrified about sharing these next few story episodes with you. Ever since starting this little light of mine, I've been pushing these episodes to the back of my mind and telling myself they're months away. Just focus on the episodes in front of you. And now we're here. Now I'm not sharing these stories to be salacious, to call anyone out, or to shame anyone. In fact, that's why I've never shared much of today's content with anyone. I'm sharing this part of my story because I want to reduce shame. Shame reduction starts when you welcome light into the shadow parts of your life. I'm also sharing because I want allies like you and those who continue to inflict spiritual abuse on our LGBTQ2S children to understand what happens, what actually happens, when you teach a child that they're not allowed to love. I'm thankful that our society is slowly evolving and some of the hard edges of mental health and addiction recovery stigma are being sanded away to give new permissions for sharing of stories to facilitate healing and growth. I'm also thankful to the people who have helped to encourage and inspire me on this part of my recovery journey. Junia Joplin, who I'm excited to introduce to you on our next episode. Junia, I want to thank you for your honesty, integrity, and humanity. I see you and appreciate your living journey of hope and transformation for the church. R&K, thank you so much for reaching out and for being a clear example of unconditional love for all of your children. Thank you for following your knowing, asking the hard questions, preparing to fail forward, and for moving into action to bring more love into our world. Joey at Dismantle Podcast, thank you for using your loving voice to encourage much-needed dialogue in our community. Your vision of community and connection over conversion? That's what we need to strive for. And finally, my Tuesday night crew, thank you so much for your vulnerability, for holding a space where we can all share all of ourselves, and for your encouragement and support around the content of this episode. And it's the support and encouragement of this community that has been transformational in my healing journey. I'm learning that authentic sharing really is the antidote to toxic shame. Fear, disconnection, and hiding in the shadows is what fuels the cancer of shame. And I know this fear all too well. 
In fact, I've only been showing you parts of me that I think are socially acceptable. And this is how I've operated for most of my life. I've been hiding behind a mask, or 20, but there's other parts of me too. And it's only been through decades of extensive therapy and intensive trauma therapy over the last 18 months that I'm starting to see some of my protective parts. And I'm learning these are parts of me, not the whole me. Now, growing up in a fundamentalist background, I was never taught about parts. I was simply taught that I was either all good or all bad, a saint or a sinner, that I was either of God or a tool of Satan. It was this type of harmful thinking that taught me that I was completely broken, that I was a forgotten sinner and an abomination in the eyes of God. It was this type of toxic theology that drove me out in search of nourishment. But the nourishment I found, it nearly starved me to death. And with that, here's today's story episode, In the Shadows. I have a private underground world where all my pain fades away. In this world, I'm confident, bold, and kind of free. I ask for exactly what I want, and I usually get it. In this world, all my fear, anxiety, separation, loneliness, and worthlessness melts away. In this world, I'm desired. I feel powerful. I'm wanted. And in this world, I'm loved. Or at least that's what I thought for decades. Our society doesn't like to talk about the things in my hidden world. We all know this world exists, but we turn our heads and hope this world will somehow disappear. This world used to only exist in the dark, in back alleys, in sleazy video stores, or on the back pages of classified sections and magazines. But this world now exists in the palm of our hands. It's accessible 24-7 on our phones and it's virtually free for everyone. Some judge this world and assume it's only filled with bottom feeders, cheaters, and lowlifes. And others have done a good job normalizing this world. They celebrate its pervasive presence in our cultural zeitgeist, and they claim victory after a long-fought battle for freedom of expression. But at a very young age, I started to inhabit this world because I was taught by my Christian community that I'm not worthy of love in your normal world. I never wanted to live in this world, but my young mind, I didn't feel I was given any other viable options. I moved into this world in order to survive. This world that I thought was helping me to survive ended up almost killing me, almost costing my life. I was introduced to this world at a friend's house after school in grade four. Five of us crammed into an unfinished basement cold room as Tom unzipped his older brother's hockey bag. He dug under all the equipment and pulled out a stack of magazines. He passed each of us one of the well-worn magazines and we drank in the images. And something magical happened to me that afternoon. As I flipped through the pages, I felt an intoxicating wave of danger mixed with goodness pass through my body. 
I knew what I was doing was wrong, and yet I was completely entranced with what I was seeing. Time stopped. Any pain and anxiety just slipped away from my body. In that moment, I felt connected with my friends, and I felt a pulse of sexual energy surge through my body. For the first time in my life, I felt powerful. The other boys were commenting on the women on the pages, but I was mesmerized with the naked images of fully grown men. I immediately knew that this was what I was searching for when I played truth or dare with the friends who were my age. I didn't want to explore with boys my age. I wanted to feel the love of a man, one of these men. The high from those pictures was nothing like I'd ever experienced. I needed more, and I knew that I couldn't rely on Tom getting access to his brother's magazines. I needed my own. Using the savings from my paper route, I rode my bike as far away from our house as I could, on the hunt for a small, independent convenience store. My gut told me that a smaller store wouldn't ask me for ID, and that being far away from my home, I wouldn't run into anyone I knew, or so I hoped. After a couple of scouting trips, I found my target. I should have been nervous about making this purchase, but the power of those images gave me the courage and the fearlessness I needed. I walked into the store, grabbed a couple of magazines, brought them up to the cash with a bag of chips, paid, and was in business, and I was instantly hooked. Those magazines would later evolve into a secret collection of online images with the generous help of those AOL CD-ROMs full of free trial minutes that would be regularly delivered to our home. Sneaking downstairs into the basement after everyone else was asleep, the crackling and the hissing of the modem handshake from our cutting-edge 56.6 dial-up connection would transport me into a magical world. You've got mail. In this world, I was like Pinocchio and his visit to Pleasure Island. I was no longer me. I was an alter ego who was strong, bold, in control, and free. In this world, I didn't have to hide what I was. I was free to desire what I wanted, and I could exchange with others just like me. This hidden world became my medicine. It was my antidepressants, my anti-anxiety meds, my sleeping pills, my everything. Whenever I felt alone or overwhelmed or I was scared, this world was the replacement for the protection I needed from my family, my church, and my community. This world gave me the love, warmth, and assurance that I could get through another moment. My hidden world experienced explosive growth when I was 13. I was reading a newspaper article that was talking about a place where gay men went, called a bathhouse. I didn't have any idea of what a bathhouse was, but the article made it seem interesting to me. Now these were pre-Google days, so I had to get out the yellow pages, and I searched for bathhouse, and to my surprise, there were many listings. I randomly picked one of the numbers, waited until my family was out of the house, picked up the phone, hit star 67 to block our number, because obviously I didn't want any gay knowing our home number, and then I dialed. Hello, Club Toronto. 
Um, hi, is this a bar? Yep, we've got one. Are you a gym? Yeah, we have one. Are you in a nightclub? Uh, I guess so. We're busier at night. But listen, you sound curious. It's probably easier if you just come in and check it out yourself. And you do know this is an all-male establishment? Yeah, 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 thanks. And that's all I really needed. I took that as my personal invitation to check it out. The next weekend, I made up an excuse that I needed to go downtown to the reference library for a school project and asked my parents if they would drop me off at the train station on Sunday afternoon after church. They agreed, and I was off. Arriving at Club Toronto, I had no idea what I was doing. I opened the door, and I saw a small counter, and it looked like there was a man sitting behind some kind of security slats. I was clueless and completely out of my depth, and all I could think to say was, one please. He looked me up and down and replied with, locker or room? What? I had no idea what he was talking about, so I just said, locker? I gave him the money, and I heard a buzzing sound from another door. I froze. I had no idea what to do next. I stood there, and finally the guy behind the counter just stared at me, and he said, you need to push the door open and come on through. So I did. I pushed the door open, I went through, and I was handed a towel and a key on an elastic keychain. Everything inside was so dark, and as my eyes adjusted from the outside sunlight, I froze again as I looked around. I was dumbfounded and had no idea where to start or what to do in this place. Where am I? At that moment, I knew I had made a massive, massive mistake. I knew I shouldn't be there, and I knew it was time to go. I started to look for a way out, and as I walked out, I was approached by an older man, a particularly larger older man, who was wearing just a towel. And he said, you look lost, can I help give you a tour? I don't remember saying anything back to the man, and yet my body started to move, and I followed this man, who was easily five times my age, as he showed me the gym area, the sauna, the whirlpool, the outdoor pool, and the lounge, before he asked to see the key in my hand. I followed him up a level, where he pointed out my locker, and told me that he would wait while I changed into my towel. I was trembling, but I followed my instructions. I had to listen to my elders, I guess. And I tried to cover myself up while taking off all of my clothes and wrapping myself in the towel that was handed to me at the front desk. As I locked up all my belongings, all I could think of was the amount of trouble I would be in if my house keys were stolen while I was here. I was lost and terrified in this strange world and I had no idea what to do next. But there was a small part of me that was intrigued by a number of the men that I'd seen on the tour. 
Suddenly, my tour guide looked over and said, One more stop. Let me show you what one of the rooms looks like. Again, I mindlessly followed him up to the fourth level of the building. This time, he handed me his key and asked me to unlock the door and go inside. Going inside, I was surprised to see that this wasn't a room. The barren space was no larger than a closet, with barely enough space for something that resembled a cot jammed into the corner. My tour guide invited me to get onto the cot, and I obeyed. My tour guide started to touch me and position my body. I was frozen inside of my head, and it was almost like I was outside of my body watching what was about to happen. I was terrified, but there was nothing I could do. And then suddenly, something inside of me came back online. I was back in my body, and I realized what he thought was about to happen. Adrenaline kicked in, I shoved my way out of the room, bolted down one flight of stairs to my locker, changed as fast as I could, ran down two more flights of stairs and found the exit. Out on the street, my heart was pounding and the thoughts in my head were spinning. What in the world are you doing? Is that man coming after me? You could have been killed. You almost got AIDS from that man. You are never going to be forgiven for this. I just want to get home and pretend this never ever happened. Then it hit me. I told my parents to pick me up from the train way later in the afternoon. I was terrified, ashamed, and yet I still had three hours to kill all by myself. And to this day, I still have no memory of what I did with those three hours. The next week went by with my usual self-flagellation of the religious discipline type, and generally hating myself for orchestrating such a massive sin. But nearing the end of the week, I told my parents I needed to go back downtown to finish up research for my project. The next Sunday, I made my way back down to Club Toronto. I walked inside, I was greeted with a welcome back, and this time I didn't need a tour guide. I knew what to expect and where to go. I found my locker and I entered into this underground world like I owned it. This underground world became my sanctuary. That Sunday morning, I started off at church as a closeted sinner. Within the walls of my church, I believed that I was unlovable, unworthy, and that people like me were dirty, evil, and headed for an eternity in hell. But that Sunday afternoon at the bathhouse, I became a saint. Within the bathhouse walls, I was desired, special, and adored. Within these walls, I found people who accepted me for me. Within these walls, the fear, anger, and frustration of living with my family, my fear of abandonment, the overwhelming anxiety of my mortal annihilation from God, and the sadness, loneliness, and terror of being bullied at school, it all just disappeared. Within these walls, for the first time, I felt seen. I felt safe. And I felt loved. This world would get much deeper and much, much darker. And for the past 30 years, 
This world has been the bomb to whatever ails me. This was the world where I learned the crucial development tasks about love, in quotation marks, sex, and relationships. This world became my drug and overtook so many aspects of my life, damaged many relationships and hurt even more people. Diving into this world at such a young age damaged my soul, inflicted trauma and abuse and led me down a path to a distorted and harmful view of what I thought love was. To this day, when I'm feeling stressed or overwhelmed, a part of me starts up and vivid flashbacks with scents, sounds, and body sensations flood into my thoughts and infiltrate my dreams. I'm now learning that these are trauma responses and that after years of conditioning, my brain doesn't want to be here in our world and it transports me back to a place where I felt alive and free. What I thought was love was really my hiding space, a space I needed because I was afraid to let love in. In this world, it was easy for me to survive because I had to give nothing. I only had to take, or that's what I used to believe. In this world that I pretended to stand for liberation, choice, and adventure was actually my prison and my executioner. I can now see that I was attracted to this world because of my pain, my low self-esteem and self-image, my fear of intimacy, my lack of trust, and my need for control. All of these things stemming from being taught that I was not allowed to love. I wouldn't wish this world on anyone, but I never felt I had the choice. When you teach a child that because of who they are, they are not allowed to love, they will search for anything that could be a substitute. By being taught that I wasn't allowed to love as a young boy, I ran to this world. And like so many other LGBTQ people growing up in the church, I was robbed of the opportunity to learn from my parents or church community what healthy intimacy, love, dating, and commitment looks like for me. My straight siblings, they got those lessons, but I didn't. I naively thought that my underground world was providing me with a love that was forbidden by my church. I now know there was never any love there. It would be more than a quarter century later that I would start to see that I was never even really in these rooms with these men. My body was there, but I wasn't. I was dissociating, and most, if not all of my sexual experiences, have been dissociative ever since. It would also be more than a quarter century later that I would start to see this part of my life for what it really was. It was sexual assault. This was repeated rape of a minor. This was the love, acceptance, safety, and community that I thought I deserved. This was what I was taught that I was worth. When you teach children that they're unworthy of love and that essentially they're garbage, this is what happens. This is what evangelical Christian churches continue to teach our children today. And I know without any shadow of a doubt that I must help stop this abuse and I can't do it alone. Will you help me?
so I'm a little nervous to ask. How did that episode land for you? I ask because writing and recording this episode brought up so many physical and emotional trauma responses for me. It's been 30 years since the events from today's episode, and only now, now I'm starting to have flashbacks of how terrified and paralyzed I was during this part of my life. Before getting into recovery, I used the stories from today's episodes to tell myself how brave, how strong, how independent and free I was. I was trying to protect myself from my truth. And to do this, I needed to numb and run away from my feelings. And when I look at it, I guess I've been gaslighting myself. As I share my private shadow world, I know that it's not a population of one. This world impacts millions of others. The Society for the Advancement of Sexual Health conservatively estimates that between 3 to 5% of all Americans can be classified as addicted to sex. Now let's look at a couple of the numbers. Porn sites receive more monthly traffic than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. Just stop and think about that for a second. Porn sites receive more traffic than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. And some of us in church circles like to pretend that this is a outside issue, a secular issue, but approximately 57% of pastors and 64% of youth pastors in America struggle or have struggled with pornography, but less than 1%, less than 1% recommend talking to their congregation about these challenges. And that's where the shame comes in. And what I'm learning is that porn, sex, or addiction, that's not the actual issue. The porn, sex, and addictions are actually just the numbing agents. These are just the symptoms of something much deeper. The deeper issue is the spiritual trauma and violent emotional lack that comes from toxic theology that continues to be taught in our society and in many of our churches. This trauma and abuse leads to disconnection, toxic shame, and covert depression. And to cover up this pain, we'll run towards anything that provides an illusion of connection, or we'll just numb the pain and pretend we don't have those feelings. And that illusion of connection or numbing, those are two sides of the same coin. Now coming off my recent episode about purity culture, I want to be really clear that I'm not trying to be sex shaming or sex negative here. I believe who you are and what you do with your sexuality should be celebrated and that these are personal choices, individual choices. And my goal is to find experiences that foster love, intimacy, and connection versus shame, numbing, and dissociation. Now, if you're anything like me, you were taught not to talk about these shameful parts, not to talk about these ugly parts. And as we heard above, 1% of those pastors, they're not talking about it either. We're taught to run from our shadows. We're taught to man up, pray more, work harder, and essentially bury the issue and hope that it goes away. And guess what? Us humans can do a pretty darn good job of pretending that something isn't there. In fact, with much of covert depression and those who self-medicate with work, people, violence, sex, food, etc., most mental health professionals do not correctly diagnose either the addictive behavior or the depression at the root. 
And yet these issues don't go away. And they will continue to persist and grow like a cancer until we acknowledge, name, and process the root of our trauma. For me, I'm learning that my recovery journey is about remembering who I was created to be. The root of my trauma? It's being taught that I am unlovable and that I am not worthy of loving in the way that I'm designed to love. For me, this journey, it's a return to love. Coming up on our next episode, I'm being joined by Junia Joplin, who is no stranger to this journey. This summer, Junia, after six years as the lead pastor of Lorne Park Baptist Church, came out to her congregation as transgender during her Sunday morning sermon. In our episode entitled, Are All Welcome?, We'll talk to Junia about what happened next and where she's headed today. Junia also gave me a bit of a history lesson in transgender leadership in the church as we look towards Transgender Day of Remembrance coming up on November 20th. So what about you? Where are you on your journey towards fully loving yourself? When you look into the mirror and connect with yourself, are you able to be with, really see, and love all of you? Are you surrounding yourself with other humans that can be with, see, celebrate, and love all of you? That's my hope for each and every one of you. That's my intention for myself. And that's my mission for queer children growing up in our church today. It's definitely a journey, and it's not an overnight one. And that's where I need your help. Will you help me on this mission? Will you share this little light of mine with someone in your personal circle? Maybe there's a family that might benefit from these stories. Or maybe an ally, a board member, or someone on the leadership team at your church. I need your help so that we can stop teaching our LGBTQ2S plus children that they're not allowed to love. We need to break this cycle of abuse. Thank you so much for being with us today. And before I go, I want to remind you, You are a gift from God, all of you. You were designed with a powerful voice, no matter who you are. We need to hear you. We need to hear what you have to say. You matter. You are needed. You are wanted. You are loved. Thanks for listening to This Little Light of Mine. To learn more about our guests today and for links from our show, visit www.thislittlelightofmine.ca. If you enjoyed this episode or feel that it could bring love and acceptance into someone else's life, please like, rate, review, and share so that we can build our community and bring more love into the world for all people. Thank you for sharing your time and listening to our stories today. And we would love to hear your story too. Visit the Get Involved section of thislittlelightofmine.ca to share your voice. We love being in community with you and look forward to sharing more with you next time. Now go and let your light shine bright because you are loved.